we come before you this morning, and Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives through the hymns and the special music and the preaching. Lord, that when we get down to the uh, time of invitation, that truly we would give to you that which, Lord, by all rights is already yours. Let us not withhold what we need to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may that, but do we live it? That's the question. Children, you may be dismissed to the children's church. You would like to leave at this time. The rest of us, let's turn to one of our theme verses, Colossians 2 and verse 7. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. And I'm not going to tell you that every sermon this year is going to be either out of Colossians 2 or First Peter chapter 2, but uh, we do want to get a, a strong and thorough understanding of these verses so that we can ask God to implement them in our lives throughout this coming year. And Colossians 2 verse 7 says, "...rooted and built up in Him..." And established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, this morning, uh, I would like to look at just <clears throat> the last phrase of verse 7. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, the, the Bible tells us that Thankfulness is one of the hallmarks, is one of the main attributes of a person living for the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Bible tells us in, in Thessalonians chapter 5, And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Uh, but I can think of probably at least half a dozen, if not the full dozen of things that I wasn't very thankful for this week. How about you? Hello? Uh, uh, are you going to be honest in church? Uh, are you going to think about some things that happened that you weren't very pleased with? Or uh, the first thought that came to mind wasn't saying, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful thing that has happened to me. I mean, I think we're pretty much all there, aren't we? And Yet, the Bible tells us here, in this verse, that we are to be abounding therein with thanksgiving. We understand. We're rooted and built up in Him. As the plant draws its nourishment from the soil, the roots go down and... and, uh, 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 grab a hold of those things and hold on to the earth. One of the great problems we're having in California is mudslides. Why? They chopped down all the trees and built the houses, and now there's nothing holding the mountains together. And, and those roots, they go down in there, hold things together. They have a purpose. And, and we are to be rooted in Jesus Christ. I think of sometimes those trees that grow in, in the arid places. Most of us, uh, if, if you've studied American history, you remember the crossing of the great prairies uh, 
the middle part of the United States. Those prairies came all the way up to the borders of the Ohio River there and, and even on the east side of the Mississippi and went the whole way to the Rocky Mountains. But you know that most of those prairies, especially as you get closer and closer to the Rocky Mountains, were nothing but desert. It hardly rained in the western prairie. They have, in fact, today, if you go out there in Illinois and, and, and uh, get past Missouri there in, in Nebraska, and they have all these great irrigation machines that water the crops. You'll see the, the pipeline go out into the fields. It, sometimes it seems like they're a mile long. I don't think they're that long, but uh, they... They pumped the water out there to plant the fields because there wasn't a lot of rain. But every once in a while, you'll see this great big, huge tree. Sometimes a whole little group of cottonwood trees out there on the prairie. You know what had happened? Those roots had gone down deep and they'd found the water underneath. They didn't need the rain because they were connected. And they would be green and flourishing even when the prairie turned brown in the heat of the summer. Now, the psalmist had never seen the American prairies, but don't you think that's what he was talking about in Psalm 1 when he said, be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He, he, he's, he was telling us that we, we need to be rooted. And the idea of being built up, it doesn't... Uh, being built does not t- happen in a, in a moment. It takes time to be built up and established in the faith as ye have been taught. But once we get there, we're supposed to be abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now the word abounding, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that. That's a pretty... Simple word, we still use it. It means to have an overabundance, to uh, overflowing. The, uh, the picture of the word here, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, it says flowing in a full stream. How many of you have ever turned on the water faucet? Drip, 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 and you turn it on the whole way and all you get is a little drip. You know what happened? That little screw that holds the washer in place broke. And the washer's not moving as you open the valve and it's not coming out. You have to take it apart and you have to repair that. The, the idea of abounding is not the little trickle at the end of the summer, but the raging torrent as the snows on the glacier begin to melt and it comes down the mountainsides. I don't know if you've ever been there uh, and where uh, the high mountains and the snowpack and down in the valley. One time my uh, wife and I had the privilege of going to Glacier National Park and, and I remember the, just the water and the force of that icy cold water melting from the glacier and just gushing down the mountainside. That's abundant, abounding. But how are we supposed to be abounding? I mean, if we were to listen to Joel Osteen and, and the TBN crowd, uh, 
You ought to have a whole closet full of fur coats and a, a, a great driveway full of fancy cars. And Most of us, if we had any, anywhere near half those things, we couldn't afford the insurance to keep them, could we? Uh, that's not what God's talking about. It says abounding therein. Now, therein is one of those funny little words that we just skip over all the time. But the word simply means in that place. So what place are we supposed to be abounding? Where are we supposed to have this abounding? It, see, most of us, as we read this verse, and I'll tell you the first time I read it, I'm sure that I just went along, oh, abounding in thanksgiving. no. It doesn't say abounding in thanksgiving. It says abounding therein with thanksgiving. So where are we supposed to be abounding? Where is the place we're supposed to be in with this full flow, this full stream, this plentiful supply, this abundance? Well, let's go back in the verse a little bit here. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught. Well, the, if, if we're just going to reverse engineer, we might say this verse. Okay, we're supposed to be abounding therein. Where are we supposed to be abounding therein? Established in the faith. You see, established means to be planted, founded. Locked down. It means to be uh, put in a position where it cannot be moved. We are supposed to be abounding in the place where we have been established. We're supposed to be established in the faith. And so as, as we get started here, I want to ask you a question. What has faith done in your life this past week that you have been thankful to God for? And if we want to make that a forward-looking question, is what do you want faith to accomplish in your life this coming week that you can give God thanks for? You see, one of the things that we want with the preaching is to, right here, right between the eyes, want to give you something to think about, to, to grab a hold of and take home. You see, if we're going to live this verse, we've got to be abounding in the faith. We, and how do we get that faith? Oh, well, let's go back to our theme a couple of years ago. What was that? Faith cometh by and hearing by. Here it tells us abounding or established, so, uh, I'm sorry, established in the faith as ye have been taught. You know, one of the 
most wonderful things about the faith that we share and teach from this book called the Bible. We are not innovators. There's nothing new here. We are teaching a faith. In fact, I've read in commentaries where they've been commenting on different things and they'll say, well, the the Congregational Baptist Church, and what they mean by that is not a board-run church, but the church where the congregation actually participates in, in what goes on in the church as we do. It says that that simple church reflects the oldest and most simple form of faith in Jesus Christ. That's quite an incredible statement, is it not? You see, that's exactly where we want to be. I often have people ask, well, what kind of church is this? Well, uh, we're just an independent Baptist church. Well, how does that line up with the Southern Baptist? Well, if we'll take the history of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, we line up with the Southern Baptist about 1845. That's where the Southern Baptist actually came into being, and the issue was slavery. Of course, we disagree with them very strongly on that. So if we'll go before 1845, then we agreed with the Southern Baptists. But you see, there's been an awful lot of change in the Southern Baptist Convention since 1845. Let me tell you, they have changed just about every major doctrine. Very, very little is left. We don't want to be a church that meets society where it is. We want to be a church that serves Jesus where he is. If we're going to be that kind of church, we got to have faith. Faith is the only transformative agent in the Scriptures. Faith is the thing that takes these words off the page And puts them in shoe leather, puts them in your hands and in your body and makes you move the way the Lord Jesus Christ would have you to do things. The Lord says here in this verse that we're supposed to be abounding as we are established in the faith. Do you know that the idea of established, as we already said, is is founded, it's It's locked down. The the modern word is established. Uh, You go past a business and they'll say, established, 1990-whatever. Or uh, sometimes here in the city you can see some very old businesses that have been around for uh, a very, very long time. But more often than not, you see established, and it'll be last year. Listen, we want to be established in the faith as the Apostle Paul taught it, as Peter taught it, as Luke related it. We want to stay as biblical as we possibly can. Does that mean we have to dress like they did in the first century? No. I mean, look at the Amish people. It didn't do any good for them, now did it? They stopped in 1828. Uh, The whole burqa thing in Islam is they stopped in 600 A.D. 
No, the issue is not the type of clothing you wear. The issue is modesty. Both for ladies and for men. The issue is dressing in such a way that we show people our seriousness about how we consider and how we worship God. Amen? Our, our behavior and, and the things that we teach. You see, once we're founded, once we're stuck where we're supposed to be, that's not the end. That's the beginning. See, then you can start building. You can start making your faith work. Here's what Paul tells us, Ephesians 6.16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, please don't raise your hand, but I would think this would, again would be somewhere every one of us who is honest would have to raise our hand. Some of those fiery darts got through this week. Some of those temptations got in and became a reality, and we had to confess our sin to God. That's where we live as human beings. You're not going to live sinlessly perfect. Here's the difference. I go back to Jesus and ask His forgiveness. It's that amazing grace that is always there. I don't know why he never gets tired of me. We get tired of other people who do the same things over again, don't we? In fact, we get tired of people who do the same things over again the first time, don't we? Um, we, we have very little patience. The only way you get patience is tribulation, isn't it? And by the way, if you're here trying to sign up for it, you're not going to get patience that way. The only way you get patience is when God's in charge of the tribulation. See, that's what faith is all about. And as I'm stuck there, then God is able to build. And that faith grows. Here's what he told the Apostle Paul. Remember, the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And people have written books trying to figure out what it was. How many of you have had a real thorn stuck in your flesh? I mean, sometimes we think about those little rose stickers and things, but if you've ever been walking out in the woods um, in central Pennsylvania, Maryland, where I grew up, every once in a while you ran into what we called a thorn apple tree. I, I don't know what the proper name is, but... This tree would grow spikes on it, sometimes three and four inches long. And, and if you were not careful, uh, I, I even every time I do, I can still look down and feel the pain in the top of my foot as that thorn, I just happened to kick a pile of bush and it was the wrong one. And that thorn went right through my gum boots and right through the top and it, it just felt like it hit the bone. And man, I just stand there, my eyes are bulging, and go, oh, wow! And had to pull it out and go home and put a band-aid on it and all those wonderful things. If you have a real thorn in the flesh, here's what you're experiencing. Pain. And it's not just pain. 
It's a pervading pain that kind of erases everything else. I remember one time going to my dad saying, Dad, my hand hurts. He said, give me a hammer. What do you want a hammer for my hand? He said, I'm going to hit you in the toe. And he said, then your hand won't hurt no more. Oh, such wonderful comfort. No. He was trying to illustrate a point. Did so very well. He never hit me with a hammer, okay? But the truth of the matter is, when we get a thorn in the flesh, that's all you can think about. And I believe the reason why Paul just used that phrase, that idiomatic speech, was so each one of us could put in that verse what gets us more than anything else. You know, the devil is just absolute master at bringing the thing in your life that will irritate you and distract you the most. He just loves this idea of pervading pain. Well, here's what God told Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, And he said unto me, My grace is efficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How am I going to abound in the faith? I'm going to have to believe that truth, that God's grace is bigger than my problem. Amen? That's abounding. In faith. I have more faith than I have problems. You see, there's nothing you're going to face in this life that faith isn't the answer for. And so often we get accused as Bible-believing Christians... Oh, you're just that blind faith, pie in the sky, by and by. You don't believe in reality. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, let's just see how well that matches up. I don't have a psychiatrist. I don't have a shelf full of psychiatric meds that keep me uh, numbed up so that my mind doesn't think anymore and that I'm dealing with the problems. I don't have alcohol in the shelf or drugs. Uh, I'm not uh, reaching for medicinal marijuana so that I can feel good when I shouldn't feel good. Uh, I'm not hiring a lawyer to take care of all my problems that I have so I don't have to worry about them. I think this blind faith thing is pretty positive. How about you? You see... You're either going to put your faith in God or you're going to put it in something else. I think I've told the story many times, actually, of street preaching down here on 30th Avenue and a guy pulls a dollar bill out of his pocket and waves it and said, This is my God! And I looked at him and I said, Does the date October 29th, 1929 mean anything to you? And he stopped and turned around and said, No. What's that? I said, that's the day your God died. 
The stock market crash. I said they were throwing themselves out of windows on Wall Street because their money was worthless. I said, my God has never failed. Amen? You see, we oftentimes relegate this thing called faith to the world of the mystical and the unreal. When the answer for the problems in the real life is faith. But if you run out of faith, what's going to happen? You're going to fail. Every once in a while I'll meet someone and say, well, I, I used to believe in that Jesus stuff, but it, it just didn't work for me. And my first response is always, you got the wrong Jesus. Because the one in this book never fails. His grace is sufficient. It's just a matter of whether you've put your hand deep enough in the jar, amen? Or whether you've made contact enough for that faith. You see, the Bible says that we are to abound in this faith. Now, how does that work? If you can remember the date you trusted Jesus as your Savior and you know that he saved your soul, would you say amen? amen. You see, that's faith, is it not? You've just solved the greatest problem you can ever face. The problem of eternity is solved. So what other problem are you going to face that's going to come anywhere close to that one? Challenge you. You're not. That is the issue. It was Jesus that said, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, you talk to some of these Hollywood people. They gave an awful lot so they could be famous. And now the stories are coming out. Oh, uh, the reason I'm not famous is because I wouldn't do it again. Oh, oh, okay. Listen, when you've given in the first time, you've already lost. But praise God, you can go back to Jesus and get forgiveness. And you can start over again. See, the world doesn't always give you a second chance. God gives you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Him. And then it's not left to chance anymore. You're in the hands of God. Why do Christians get depressed and overwhelmed with the issues of this world in which we live? It's because we're forgetting who God is. That was Ray Nielsen's definition of discouragement. And we, we need to remember that. Listen, what, what will your faith do after you're saved? It ought to make you get wet. Amen? Baptized. And serve the Lord in a church. Because that's the plan. If your faith works, that's, that's where it's going to take you. Now, we, I don't go walking up and down the aisles and say, Are you saved? You need to get baptized. Because if you're not willing to follow God on your own, 
I don't want you following God because I say so. Because that's not faith. Faith is an obedient response to this book called the Bible. I pray that's the reason you're in church this morning. Is because of faith. Because I promise you, if it's not the reason you're in church, you'll get tired of listening to me preach. You, you'll get weary. You know, ah, that guy says the same thing every Sunday. Yeah, I've been doing it for 25 years, and if God gives me 25 more, I'll still be doing it. Because I want to be abounding in the faith. I want to be abounding therein. I don't want to move. I don't want something new. I want what's here. You know, I was talking with one of my preacher friends at the fellowship meeting, and, and he was just saying, you've got to put it down. You've got to write a story of all the problems that you've had. And there's a part of me sitting there going, I don't think I want to remember all the problems that we've been through. To sit down and write them. But I do want to be an encouragement. And I want to be a testimony to faith. I mean, you stop and think about all the things that God has done. So that this church could exist. And then, let's add to it all the craziness at Union. That's just the past two years. And things are going to really get crazy once we start the upstairs. But that's okay. You can see, because we want to be established, we want to be abounding in the faith that we were taught. We want Jesus to be able to build things that work. You know, one of the questions that Ronald Reagan came up with in his first campaign he was running against the famous American president, Jimmy Carter. Uh, how many of you have ever heard the news report on the misery index? The news media invented the misery index because of what uh, President Carter did to the United States of economy. And uh, it, it was insane. We complained because the mortgage rate on your house is now 4.5%. In 1978, it was 21%. It was as high as your credit cards to buy a house. Could you imagine that? You would pay for it five times in 20 years. It's insanity. But here's the question you ask. How are you doing now? Are you doing better after four years of this president than you were before. And he was a landslide. I mean, there was just, it, it was just a great question. He, he, he just, and what I want you to stop and think about this morning is, has faith improved your life? Well, if it has, don't you think you want to put down a few more anchors to make sure that you're stuck good? That the foundation will hold the works that God... God is willing to build you, my friend. 
He wants to use you as a testimony of His grace and His goodness. He wants to use us as trophies of His love and how much He loved us. You know, that's why God never gets tired of putting up with us. Because it proves how much He loves us. We love Him because He first loved us. That's what happened in the... I believe that's the problem with the Ephesian church. They left their first love. They forgot that He's the one started it. And they got thinking about themselves and what they had done and they weren't relying on Him anymore. You know, we need to ask ourselves... That's what faith does. Faith makes us examine that there's nothing good in me. There's nothing that God needs from me. I need everything from God. We live in a world that's just full of wickedness. And if you're not careful, you'll just be overwhelmed with the wickedness that is in this world. The cursing and the lying and the cheating and all of that foolishness that the world calls good. But it's not. It's evil. It only brings more pain and more suffering. How are we going to escape the tempter? Faith. We need to be abounding in faith. We need to have more faith. You need to grow your faith, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We sang that song. How many of you have ever been attacked by someone who just wanted to hurt you? Most of us have been there at one time or another. Are you going to protect yourself? No. But faith will protect you. Amen? But see, you've got to abound. You've got to have a full stream. You've got to have a complete connection. Sometimes in electrical wiring, there will be a problem with the wire. Uh, sometimes it will get kinked or partially broken. And it, what will happen is it will build up resistance in the line. Uh, in in the power grid, we have what we call brownouts. That's where the voltage drops, and because the voltage drops, it takes more current to run whatever is going on, and the line actually gets overloaded and heated up, and then you can have fires. And after the fires, you get blackouts, because there's no connection whatsoever. If you have... Abounding faith. You're not going to get any resistance on the line between God and you. Amen? He's going to keep the voltage up, we might say. How many of you remember the... We're here for our family fun night, Friday night. The wise man and the foolish man. You know what? The wise man is building his house upon the rock, isn't he? Faith. Amen? God gives us that faith. He wants us to be abounding in faith. Now, the last phrase, with thanksgiving. 
Do you know what Thanksgiving does to faith? It's like a turbocharger. I mean, it just takes it and propels it. It multiplies our faith. Sometimes we get so absorbed in just, okay, doing, 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 that we're actually doing in our own effort, and we're, that's not faith. Abounding in faith is obedience to God's Word that determines the way my feet move, what my hands do, what my heart thinks. But when I take thanksgiving, you know what thanksgiving? It, it tells me it is my way of telling God that I am happy where He has put me. That even though this event that has happened in my life that I might not like, James chapter 1, rejoice when you fall into diverse temptations. How do you do that? God, I don't know how you're going to solve this problem. But I'm going to thank you for it anyway. You know what thankfulness will do? It will keep you from lashing out at others when you're under stress. You know, let's go to Revelation 4 9. Revelation 4 9. Thankfulness is one of the key elements to true biblical worship. Revelation 4 and 5 is one of the few places, the only place really in Scripture, where the veil of heaven is opened and we're allowed through the eyes of John to see what is there. And John sees the throne, and around the throne are these four beasts, and around the beast are twenty and four elders. And the Bible tells us in verse 8, and the four beasts had each of them six wings and They were about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor, what's those next two words? And thanks. Glory and honor and thanks. That's thanksgiving. They're giving thanks to God. See, when we are unthankful, what are we doing? We are accusing God of being less than God, being less than good. That's what happens when we're unthankful. Romans chapter 1, it is the first step to perdition. If you don't want to end up there, don't take the first step. Amen? Abounding therein, abounding in faith with 
thanksgiving when we give praises on Sunday night. Don't ever get tired of somebody that's raised their hand. Salvation. The Word of God. The fellowship of our church. You know how we get those things? Faith. And if we ever stop being thankful, we're going to lose a lot of things that we can't get back. You see, thankfulness takes my mind off me and puts it on God. And any time I take my mind off me, off God, and put it on me, I lose. I will make the wrong decision. I will not have enough faith to get through the situation. Probably the best illustration is Peter walking on the water. How many of you remember that story from the Bible? We're just getting ready to start the New Testament again. So, But Peter says, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come. And of course, how in the world is the Lord supposed to get out of that one? He is the Lord. And Peter says, if you're the Lord, tell me to walk on the water. And so the Lord says, okay, come. And he does. And Peter walks on the water. Now, I have no idea what that would be like. But I'll promise you this. It would be the neatest thing you ever experience. Amen? Standing on the water. But then he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the wind and the waves. And all of a sudden, what he was doing didn't seem very smart anymore. Now did it. And it says, in beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. Guess whose hand was close enough to grab Peter before he went down? Could I challenge you today to think, to ask the Lord, if you cannot think of something that God did through faith in your life in this last week that you can be thankful for, then what you need to do is come up to the altar and ask God to give you something this week. Now, that may mean that He puts you into the fire and tests you. But if He's in charge, can I be thankful for that? It may mean that we need to spend some time just on our knees asking God to forgive us for things that happened in our life that weren't by faith so that faith can do its work. You know, unthankfulness is a sin. It needs to be confessed and forsaken like any other sin. We need to be rooted and built up in Him. Amen? But God cannot build you if you can't hold the weight. That's why you have to be and established in the faith. But I promise you, you won't get very far if you don't abound in enough faith to deal with the problems you face in this life. 
And what makes faith go the extra mile is thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Abounding therein. With thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives. Lord, that you would bring us to that point to where you are able to have us settled, established, founded, that you can build us to the point to where we have a direct connection, an overabundance of faith that deals with the problems of this life. And that we can stop concentrating on solving problems and spend our greatest and most worthy efforts in giving thanks to you. Lord, work that we may offer the testimonies of praise and thanksgiving that you so just... Lord, you, you are the reason we have something to be thankful for. You are the work that benefits us. You, you are everything. And Lord, help us to see and understand that we could just take these words off the page and live them through this week. And Lord, of course, we pray for someone here today that may not be saved that they would be able to understand what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. We ask you to work during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together the hymn of invitation 301.